Michelle and I have been married 33, soon to be 34 years, which is a testament to the grace of God, her patience, and my mother-in-law, <laughs> who has been my biggest cheerleader since I was 19 years old. But well, one of the things that, you know, when, you, when you're young, how many of you remember when you were young and in love? I'm sorry about the rest of you that you forgot that, but that carries you through a lot. But when I was young and, and in love and just, just starting off in ministry, and when we got married, Michelle was 18 and I was 23, and I met her in South Louisiana. And, you know, by, by, I mean, in, in the 1980s, if you were 18 and not married, that was a little old in Lafayette not to be married. And so uh, I, I scraped together every bit of, of, of money that I had, and I went to a jeweler that was in our church, and and I said, I, I want to get married. Could, could you cook me up? And, and he gave, uh, I bought a quarter carat diamond ring. Okay, well, like, I mean, that, that was huge, y'all. I mean, I'm going to tell you. I mean, now you'd have to accompany that with a magnifying glass to impress a woman. But, but back in that day, and I, I, I mean, so Michelle had that. And about five years into marriage, we bought her a fake carat cubic zirconium. And and for 20 years, she wore that fake one carat cubic zirconi. And uh, on our 20th anniversary, I, we, we many of you know, I didn't start pastoring until I was 40. Uh, so uh, I, I went to a pawn shop owner. Don't tell her this. A pawn shop owner. <laughs> That, that was in our church. And I said, listen, my, my wife's 20th anniversary is coming up. And I mean, we, we have five sons and now five sons and one daughter. And I said, you know, I mean, she's been wearing this fake cubic for 20 years. And I mean, could, could, could you find something for me? And so he said, Pastor, I'm going to start looking. And so someone came in and pawned a two carat heart shaped diamond solitaire. Real. And, and so for our 20th anniversary, I, I, uh, I, I, I gave her this two-carat, heart-shaped diamond solitaire. Come on, man. Come on. You know I'm a hero. And, and, and when I gave it to her, now when people look at her diamonds, they go, oh, that's beautiful. This is my 20-year service award. <laughs> So what happens if you bring five men children up into a man and a daughter? And, 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 and when, we, when we look back at that, I mean, I, I, I know that, and, and you're going to find this hard to believe, for another 10 years, I never bought her a wedding band. And she would say to me, baby, I don't even have a wedding band. I mean, when men look at me, they, I go, look, if a man looks at you and sees that two-carat, heart-shaped diamond solitaire, he knows he can't afford you. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. He knows he cannot afford you and that you're already taken. So, so you, you, you know what that two carat diamond solitaire says when, when people look at it? Somebody really, really, really loves that woman. And when God gives you gifts, he does that the same way because he really, really, really loves you. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that God gave gifts to the church and one of them was pastor. And he did that for the perfection of the saints so that they could be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And 
I can tell you God must really, really love you because the incredible gifts he's given you named Pastor Bubba and Tracy McCann as your pastors who've sacrificed and built here for years and been a father, spiritual father to, to Josh and to Lindsay. And uh, I, Pastor Josh, I've known him since he was actually born. When I came to Lafayette, his grandparents are the first people that had me come and live in their home. I led his mom, I led his mom and his aunt to the Lord. And our ministry was actually started in the living room many years before Josh was ever even a thought. So it's a privilege to me not only to see someone who's a spiritual grandson to me, because I led Pastor Bubba the Lord when he was 18 years old, and to see what God has done here. And I want to tell you, God must really, really, really love Jennings if he's given you the pastors that he's given you. So would you give your pastors a big hand and let them know how much you appreciate them? Well, today I, I know that uh, most most people and, and, and surely in our family of churches are kind of aware of what my, my wife and I have walked through over the past few months. Many of you know that uh, on uh, September 11th, our 20-year-old son, our fifth son, who all of our children are, are, are excuse me, our, our third son, all of our children were raised with, with the McCann children from, from birth all the way on because we've been so close for over 30 years. Then on September 11th, my son, tragically, his life was lost driving home a half a mile from our home on a motorcycle. And um, that, that I've, I've walked with a lot of people through a lot of things. I've walked with people losing their children and husbands and wives and, and stillbirths and all kinds of different circumstances. But when you walk through it yourself, it's an entirely different story. And so usually when I, when I, when I meet people these days, whether it's in the supermarket and, or it happens every, almost every day, surely uh, several times a week where people will walk up and, and just say, some don't know what to say. So they just say, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss or I've been praying for you or I can't imagine if, if we walk through that. So most people's question, really, when, when, when they really, really are honest, they say this, how are you doing, Pastor? How are you doing? And so in today's message, I want to answer that for you. Because maybe you're going through things that are a loss to you. And prayerfully, it's not something as tragic as the loss that Michelle and I have walked through. But if you're a mama, there are many moms here that are older that have lost sons and daughters. There are some of you here that are, that are at a loss in a divorce. Or you've gone through some traumatic loss in your life. Today, I want to answer that question. And I want to give you a way to answer the losses of your life as well. Whenever we come to church, we always come because we want to meet Jesus. Correct? And so, uh, let, let me ask you a question. If, if when you got here to church today and you sat down, worship was over, and, and before Miss Tracy got up to, to, to greet you and Pastor Josh, suppose Jesus came and he sat right down beside you. 
And suppose he looked over at you, sitting right beside you, and he asked you this one question. If I could do one thing for you today, anything, what would you want that to be? What miracle would you want? There's nothing too big. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too insignificant. What could I do for you? How many of you, just think about that just a moment. What would your answer be? There are some here that I know well enough to know. I know Pastor Josh would say, I want my son completely, totally healed. For some of you, it might be God help an addicted child. For some, it might be God change my husband or change my wife or God, my parents, they're old and they don't know the Lord. I can tell you, most of us would not answer, I wish I could win the lottery. Because if you've got a problem that money can solve, you don't really have a problem. You can't file chapter 11 on an addicted child. You can't file chapter 11 on someone that you love that is terminally ill with cancer or some other disease. You can't file chapter 11 on the wives and husbands that I cry with every week who their mate woke up one day and decided this isn't the trip that I signed up for. And at 35 to 45, and we're seeing it in rash. It's almost like a plague. Literally 35 to 45-year-old men and women who've been in church all their life, waking up one day going, hold it. This isn't the trip I signed up for. I want to go and I want to live for me. It's now time to take care of me. And by doing so, they sacrifice their entire family on the altar of their own pleasure. What would you answer Jesus if he said that? How many of you think you know the answer? In your mind, you, 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 Jesus asked you what one thing I do, could do for you, you. You know what the answer is. Raise your hand. How many of you, it has nothing to do with money? Raise your hand. Good. Let's pass the offering right now. We'll solve that problem. <laughs> Today, we're going to look at the story of 10 men that had exactly that happen to them. Jesus actually came to them and they cried out for one miracle. The one thing that they most desire. And today we're going to pick up our story in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now what happened is he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the middle of Samaria in Galilee. And there he entered into a certain village, and there met him, how many men? Ten, Ten men who were? Say it loud. If you said leapers, you didn't pass English. <laughs> who stood, what? Afar off. Say it with me again. I'm going to explain all these in a moment. And they lifted up their voices and cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, read this with me, go show yourself to. So it was that as they, as they, as they, they were cleansed. And one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, did what? Returned and with a loud voice, did what? Glorified God. And he fell down. At his fa on his face, at the feet of Jesus, giving him 
The Amplified Version says thanking him over and over and over and over. And he was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your has made you. Another translation says whole. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let me just explain a little bit about this story. First of all, God's chosen people from Genesis chapter 12 to today have always been. Starts with a J. They live in Jerusalem. Okay. The who? The Jews. The Jews have been God's chosen people. And the Jews who are God's chosen people have claimed that to such a degree that they felt like they were so chosen that everybody else that wasn't a Jew their term for them was a dog. The, te- the, the, the temporal term that most of us call people that are non-Jews, Jews call them is Gentiles. Say it with me, Gentile. Yeah. Not to be confused with gentle. Because to a Jew, anyone who was not a Jew was cursed. When a Jew wakes up in the morning, the first thing that he prays is he says, God, thank you that I was not born a Gentile. If you were, during the time of Jesus, walking down the street as a Jew, and someone who was not a Jew was walking past you, you would turn and walk over to the other side of the road to get away from them. That's how you felt. That's how you felt. That was the most difficult barrier to break when the disciples were given the Great Commission is to believe that anybody but a Jew could go to heaven. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until Acts chapter 10. Remember, The Holy Spirit falls on them in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 10 is the first non-Jew that is converted. And Peter goes, by virtue of a vision, he goes and he goes to an Italian guy's house named Cornelius. And who sends for him? And Peter says, "Why, why did you call for me? I'm a Jew. You know I'm not even supposed to be talking to you. So to a Jew, anybody that was not a Jew was a Gentile. They were a dog. They were cursed. You follow me? The worst thing that a Jew could ever do was marry someone who was a Gentile. Because when you did that as a Jew, you watered down your blood heritage and you watered down your spiritual heritage. And they considered them worse than Gentiles. The people who married outside of the Jewish faith moved to a place outside Jerusalem. Guess what the name of that place was? Samaria. Samaria. Jesus is walking and he's going near the outer regions of Samaria. And while he's there, he looks over and there are some people that are far outside the city and far away from anyone else, and they are diseased. And what is their disease? Say it loud. Y'all might not know this. I'm a leprosy expert. I really am. The oldest living leper colony just shut down in the last five to eight years. Does anybody know where it was? In the United States. The oldest one. Anybody know? 
It was in Carville, Louisiana, right on the other side of the Sunshine Bridge, right outside Baton Rouge. I have a grandmother who had leprosy and an aunt and an uncle. And as a young boy raised in the, 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 the ghetto of Houston, my, my grandmother and my aunt and uncle would come once or twice a year to Carville, Louisiana. And I was young, like Libby up on the front row, and like Luke. And I would ask, because when you went there, they had places where you could fish, you could play ping pong. It was just in, in kind of a compound area where they had all this recreation and all these doctors that treated people with leprosy. And so I would go as a vacation. And I learned a lot about leprosy. You see, leprosy during the Bible was like full-blown AIDS today without any cure. Even to this day, if you have leprosy, you will always have leprosy, but they can treat you. So what happens when you get leprosy is you'd get one white sore on you that wouldn't heal. And then it was begin to spread. And anyone that touched those open wounds could get leprosy from you. So when you got a white sword during biblical times on you, you would go show yourself to the priest who was also like the doctor and he would look at you and he would pronounce you as leprous and you had to leave and go away from your family and go into a leper colony outside the city, live at the mercy of the people that are in the city. You didn't go to weddings, funerals. You didn't go to graduations. You didn't go to christenings. You didn't go to baptisms. You didn't go to any of the things that every one of us enjoy as highlight moments of people we love's lives. It was over. Not only did you live in a leper colony, you couldn't get within a hundred yards by biblical law of anyone who did not have leprosy. And if anyone came close to you, you had to yell out something. Does anybody remember what it was? Unclean. Unclean. So you get within a hundred yards of a leper, they yell, unclean. So Jesus is coming through on the outer areas of Samaria. And he looks over and he sees, he knows what this is. It's, it's where lepers are kept. And from a hundred yards away, they begin to cry out, Jesus. Jesus. Now, just just think about the story. They heard, if you have leprosy, you're going to be here forever. You're never going to touch your grandchildren again. If you're a man, you're never going to touch your wife again. If you're a wife, you're never going to touch your husband again. You're never going to hold your grandchildren. You're there forever unless you get a miracle. And the only one that could miraculously heal you is God himself. And you begin hearing stories. There's someone who's doing miracles. He's making blind people see. People who never walked to walk. People who can't hear. They're now hearing and seeing the deaf and the dumb. God is doing miracles to him. He's ruining funerals. Everyone he attends. (laughs) And now you hear that he's coming. And maybe he's not close. Maybe several hundred yards away. And there's 10 of you that are united together. They probably ate together, slept together. They probably were in a little commune, these 10 together. And they'd heard stories. And now Jesus is coming and they're going to get his attention. How do you think? What do you think they're doing? Yo, Jesus, what's up? You guess what they're doing? What are they doing? 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is their one moment in life to ever leave where they are. This is it. It's now or never. It's this or nothing. It's hear from Jesus and be healed by Jesus or die here in a leper colony away from everyone that I love. And they desperately cry out to Jesus for a miracle. This was their moment of Jesus passing by saying, what can I do for you? And they cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus didn't have to ask, what what are they asking about? He knew they're in a leper colony. And Jesus looks at them and he says, go show yourself to the priest. And and so it was as they as they went, as they went, can we put that back up there, that verse? As they went, say it with me, as they went. As they say it again. You know what's interesting about this passage? Most of us don't want a miracle, we want magic. You know what magic is? Magic is when something appears out of nothing, like, pff, I need money. There's $100. God changing my husband. Pff, Hallelujah. Is that you, baby? Yes. Listen. Do you know what a miracle is? The Bible says, as they obeyed the words of Jesus. They weren't healed the moment Jesus yelled out, go show yourself to the priest. As they went on their way. All healing comes, all miracles come when I obey the word of Jesus. And as I begin to walk out that word, that's when the miracle happens in my life. The difference between magic and a miracle. Magic is something appears out of nothing. A miracle is when you do your part that only you can do. And God does his part that only he can do. Okay, that's a good place to clap. So I'm going to stop and tell you. If I was at any one of our four campuses, they'd be shouting and scream. No, just just clap, just clap. No, you don't know me that well yet. And so now they are healed, and they're so excited. Nine of them go show themselves to the priest, but one of them does what? He goes. Well, I- I have a wife I want to see. I have children that have been born that I don't know of, grandchildren. There's people I want to hug and kiss. But before my wife and my children and my job and the people that I miss, I must go back to Jesus. I must go back to Jesus. And so he goes, and I love the amplified version of the Bible. It's my favorite translation to study out of because it gives you the fullest meaning of the Greek language. And it says that he goes back and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and he thanks him, thanks him over and over and over and over. Two of the signs of a group of people that are in demise, decline, self-corruption is this. Number one, they cannot honor anyone. They can't honor anyone. As a matter of fact, that's become the trademark of our country. No matter who you are. Listen, I don't agree with everything the president says, but I'm commanded to pray for him and to honor the position. 
one one of the scary things of regardless of who you're voting for or thinking about is Donald Trump. His platform is he doesn't mind talking, saying anything to anybody about anything. We live in a culture that represents that. It's all Stephen Colbert. It's all mocking and dishonoring everything. Here's a second sign of a culture that's in demise is that they are unthankful. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans that ultimately ends up with the version of homosexuality, Romans 1, 21 says this, They knew God, but they did not give him the honor that belongs to him, nor did they, what? Thank him. Nor did they thank him. The second sign of a culture and demise is, we're not thankful. We're not thankful. We are not honoring and we are unthankful. Do you know that you and I live in the most blessed nation in the history of the world? Did you know this morning half of the world woke up sleeping on the dirt floor? Living on a dollar a day. And you complain that you haven't had any new winter clothes yet. You're wearing the same old coat you wore last year. You're mad because you're sitting there wondering, why does this microwave take so long? I wish I had a nicer car. A hundred years ago, your great-grandfather was praying for a horse so that he wouldn't have to walk. And you're complaining that the AC doesn't get cold enough in the car you have. We live in the most blessed nation in the history of the world, and we are the most unthankful people in the history of the world. Today, I want to show you the five things that happen, the traits of someone who is thankful, like this one man. According to this story, if Jesus is giving us a parable that actually winds up in percentages, only 10% of people are thankful. And here's what happens when you are thankful like this man was. Number one, thankfulness moves you to do things other people are unwilling to do. Hey, when they needed a miracle, how many of the 10 cried out? How many of them cried out when they needed a miracle? Oh, you know what? Look right here. Listen carefully. Look right here, church. If the only time you ever cry out to God is when you are in a a, a straight, a problem, some sort of tight situation, in need, then don't worry. God loves you so much, He'll make sure you're always in need. Because according to this story, that's what 90% of people are. Oh, Jesus, help my child on drugs. Jesus, Jesus, give me a job. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, help me. Jesus, Jesus. We all cry out when we have a need. You see, thankfulness moves you to do things others are unwilling to do. They would all cry out, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. But only one would go back and cry out as loudly, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know what the word resent means? Say it with me, resent. How many have ever ever used that word? Oh, I resent that. Oh, I resent him. Oh, I resent them. How many of you ever use that word? Raise your hand. Let, let me give you what resent means. The actual meaning of the word resent means to relive. 
So when you say you resent something, you go back to something they did to you that was bad or didn't do that they could have, and you relive that. How many of you love boiled crawfish? Raise your hand. Okay, there's something wrong with a man who don't love boiled crawfish. Need to be checked into a hospital. I, I actually probably eat boiled crawfish once or twice a year, and the reason is I, I just I'm small. I'm gonna be honest with you. We have a crawfisherman in our church. His name is Matt Caprida, and, and he has all kinds of supplies, all kinds of crawfish. And, and what he'll do is he'll wait till they get big, and then he'll call me and say, Pastor. I got the first fruits for you. I got the baby lobsters. And man, I'll go and them crawfish are this big. But when you clean them, the meat looks just like that. I mean, you talk about good. And man, he'll put boiled sabwa sausage up in there and reshard hot mixed sausage in there. And he'll have mushrooms and have potatoes and he'll have corn. And man, I'm hungry. He'll, he'll just have it all. I mean, it will be. Hey, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And I, I'm telling you, I will go. I'll be so hungry for that because I only eat it once or twice a year. And I just eat, 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 eat. And I don't know about you. Have you ever seen, you know, even if you don't eat a lot, you could eat a stack of crawfish about that high. And it's so good. Until I lay down at night to go to sleep. And you're laying down at night and you're thinking about how good that was. And that those crawfish are talking to you. They're trying to crawl out. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you belch. Belch is a kind, neat, Lafayette Christian word for burp. <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? And what happens when you when you do? What do you taste? You taste it all over again. Do you know what resentment is? It's you belching up what someone did to you. You know what thankfulness is? It's you belching up what someone has done for you that was a blessing. Every time I see Josh's grandmother, I always remind her, y'all were the family that took me in in Lafayette when I was 19 years old. Every time I'm with my mother-in-law, I go, you're my biggest cheerleader since I was 19 years old. Led your children to Christ. It's, it's going back to the scene, not of the crime, but of the blessing. And, and reminding that and retasting that all over again. Why is it so easy for us to belch up resentment, not to belch up a blessing? Thankfulness always comes back. I was born in Texas and raised in Texas and, and moved to Lafayette when I was 19 years old. And there's a reason why I left Texas, all my exes. <laughs> but there's something uh, about a Texas gentleman wearing a hat. Where you go in at some little restaurant and you're sitting there eating. And all of a sudden the food comes and he takes his hat off his head and he puts it over his heart and he says, we're going to return thanks. Return thanks. Return back to who? To God. What he has what? Given to us. So we're going to return it back 
to him. This one man returned to the scene of the blessing and relived it over and over and over. The others, they were in church. They weren't in a bad place. They were obeying Jesus. Isn't it always true that we can say that? Well, I'm in church. Well, I'm going. But there's something way more beyond that. Hey, being in love with your mate will make you stay with him. But being really in love with him will make you crazy about him and do things that somebody just staying with him will never even consider doing. Secondly, thankfulness allows you to hear things unthankful people never hear. I want you to think about this a moment because this is so good. This is so good. Those people who were healed, they went to the priest. Who was the first persons do you think they touched after the priest pronounced them clean? Mama, daddy, husband, wife, children, grandchild. I've been dreaming of holding you. Baby, I've been dreaming of kissing you again. My children, I've been dreaming of holding you up in my arms and and, and fishing with you and, and walking out and planting things with you and hunting with you. All of those things. But look right here. There was one of them, the first flesh he was ever able to touch was the feet of Jesus. The first person he touched was Jesus. You see, the purpose of a miracle is not to give you what you want. It's to bring you to Jesus. It's to bring you closer to him, not closer to all the things you want. The first person he ever got to touch. And remember, all of them heard, go show yourself to the priest. But only one of them heard, up close, arise. Get up. You're not a leper anymore. Before you get to the priest, the one who breathed into the dust of the earth and made you, just declared you clean. Get up. Get up. Go. You didn't just get a miracle. You got faith. Your faith has made you. You see, when God gives you a miracle, it's not to give you what you want. Because I can tell you this. I've been living for God for over 40 years. I need a lot of miracles. How many got children? You need a lot of miracles. How many got teenagers? You need a whole lot of miracles. I am absolutely convinced that when Abraham laid Isaac on the altar to kill him, he had to have been between 15 and 25. God said, kill him. Abraham said, I've been thinking about doing that for a long time. Get the knife out, Jesus. Listen to me. The goal... Of every miracle God gives you is not you being healed. It's God increasing your faith. 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 It's God drawing you closer to the feet of Jesus. It's you being close enough that you can hear what other people don't hear. Here's the third thing. 
Thankfulness gives glory to God. He said, is there only one that's returned to give glory to God? Do you know what happens if we're not thankful that instead of giving glory to God and making Him bigger, you know who we start making bigger? Ourselves. Ourselves. Can I remind you, the devil didn't get kicked out of heaven because of heroin and hookers. The devil got kicked out of heaven because of P-R-I. It's always I right in the middle of it. D-E. That's why. The people that crucified Jesus, they weren't crack addicts. They were proud religious people. Proud religious people. Thankfulness gives glory to God. Thankfulness reminds me how big God really is. Thankfulness helps me to understand what comes to me when I don't understand what's in God's hand that He's allowed me to walk through. It helps me to understand His heart. So many people see the hand of God, they never see the heart of God. When the police showed up at my door, 1215, and said, is your son Wesley Aranza? And I said, yes. And they said, we're sorry to tell you, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And I said, are you sure it's him? And they showed me his driver's license. When you don't understand what comes from God's hand, you better be close enough to understand his heart. I can't tell you how many unbelievers that are now, that one time were believers, who came and said, I prayed and I told God, God, if you bring my parents together again, they're divorced, then I'll believe in you. And they didn't get back together, so there can't be a God. God is infinite and so much wiser than every one of us that are here. So there are many things that are going to come to us from His hand that if you don't understand His heart, what comes to you via His hand will push you away. Number four, thankfulness keeps my faith alive. Thankfulness keeps my faith alive. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen and complained about the way someone responded to you before? Anybody, anybody here ever complained? Oh, come on. How many ever complained because someone was too thankful? You know what I don't like about that person? They're just too thankful. I mean, you give them $10 and they act like you gave them a million. I mean, you do this much for them and they thank you this much. I mean, no matter what I give them, they just thank me over and over. I'm, I'm, I just can't be around people like that. I've been doing this for over 43 years and I've never heard anybody complain about that once. Never. Thankfulness keeps your faith alive. Many of us pray for God to do more in our life. But look at me. If you're faithful in little, you're faithful in much. If you're not thankful for little, why in the world would God give you more? To make you more unthankful? And then finally, number five. Thankfulness makes you whole. Luke 17, 19. 
The King James Version says, And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you what? Do you know there are many people that are saved that aren't whole? There are many people that get a miracle that aren't whole. They're still fractured in their life. They're still fractured by someone who molested them or someone who abused them or someone who dumped them or someone who hurt them or, or, or something that happened to them. And so they're fractured. The enemy's design is to fracture you and to fracture you in such a way that you see that through the lens of your life. Everything. What's going to happen? Oh, somebody's going to drop me again. Somebody's going to hurt me again. Somebody. Why? Because it's always been that way. That's his goal. That's his goal. You see, thankfulness makes you whole. Let me share with you just a few practical things I share with my children. Just because something is given to you free, it doesn't mean it costs nothing. Just because something is given to you free doesn't mean it costs nothing. My children are always blessed by people. Always. And I tell them all the time, just because it costs you nothing doesn't mean it's free. When you don't pay for it, then it should cost you something. You know what it should cost you? Gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For each of us, it's amazing. We don't get it. I tell my children all the time, the thankfulness should match the ask. Let me explain that. How many have ever had your children ask you about something and just wear you down? Please, mama, please, 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 mama, please, 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 And I mean, you get to the end of it. You want to throw them your credit card, checks, money. Just give me peace. Anybody been there? Come on. Anybody been there? Have you ever had your children do that? Ask you, ask you, ask you, beg you, beg you. We've got to have this. Everybody's got that. Mama, I can't believe I'm going to be the only one in the whole school that doesn't have this. If I don't have these things, nobody in the whole school but me doesn't have this. And so you take from things that you want, things that your mate wants, things that other children want, and then things that you might even need. And you take that and you save up that money and you go to them one day and say, hey, look, look at me. I got something for you. All right. Close your eyes. All right. Open your eyes now. Here it is. And you give it to them and they go, oh, thanks. And then you go from wanting to bless them. To wanting to kill them. And you say, the Lord helped me to bring you into this world. And the Lord should help me take you out of this world. Look right here. The gratitude should match the ask. If the ask was please, 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 then the gratitude gratitude should be thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Many people are fractured and cannot ask. And many people that can ask are fractured and can't say thank you. How many of you know people that, that can't say thank you? Or can't say I love you. 
You know, people like that. One man looked at his wife and she said, honey, I mean, we've been married 20 years and you've never told me I love you since we walked down the aisle. He said, well, I told you 20 years ago. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> Tragically, that's some people's attitude. Let, let, me, let me close with a, a very practical and sad story. There's a guy in our Lafayette campus who is young and wild, and I've walked with him through very difficult seasons of his marriage. And his daddy was a womanizer. Matter of fact, his daddy was probably in some bar last night in Lafayette at almost 60 years old, acting like he was 16 years old. He's always told me, Pastor Jacob, I don't ever want to be like my daddy. I don't ever want to be like my daddy. You're like a daddy to me. And God has blessed him. He's been a rascal in the past. God's totally changed him and still working on him like he is all of us. And, and he'll always ask me, go, Pastor, um, do you know anybody needs a blessing? God's blessing my business. And I'll say, listen, you just keep giving to the building fund. You keep tithing and we're good. So he always tells me, tell me all the time, Pastor, you know anybody needs a blessing? You know anybody needs a blessing? Let me know. If you know anybody needs a blessing, let me know. So there was a couple I met on the way out of church and Heard a little bit about their story. They were in ministry at one time, got out of ministry, disappointed, hurt by different people and circumstances. And, and I said, well, why don't we have dinner one night? So a little while later, we had dinner and, and I got down. I began to listen to their story. They have three children. Two of them live with them. Their oldest child is a Down syndrome child that requires 24-hour care. And so they're at an institution in Alexandria. They moved to Lafayette because that meant every other weekend they could go see him. I began to ask them about why they weren't more involved in, in, in life groups and connected in the church. And, and they said to me, well, she said, my husband works 40 to 60 hours a week and I work 40 to 60 hours a week. So how, how do y'all do that? She said, well, my husband leaves for work early and then I get the children off and I go to work at nine and then I come home at four and I'm there with the children. Then he comes home at 530 and I leave at 530 to go work at Old Navy and I work there from six to ten. And I said, well, how, what kind of life do you all have that? Well, why do you do that? Are things that tight? And she said, well, we have a Down syndrome child and institutionalized in Alexandria and several months ago he fell and broke out all of his front teeth. And it's going to cost $3,000 to fix his teeth. So I got this second job at night to save up enough money to fix his teeth. Well, I mean, I left there that night. and I mean, I, I just, all I could think about was that situation. Next morning, I woke up praying about it. And I thought about this, this, this guy who always says, Pastor, if you know anybody needs a blessing, let me know. And so... So I was driving around Lafayette and I called him and I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, fine. I said, you know, how you always tell me if anybody needs a blessing, let you know. He said, yeah, I said, well, I know some people that need a blessing. Well, Pastor, how much they need? I said, three thousand dollars. He said, where are you? And as the Lord alone would have it, I was at Mesh's Donuts on Ambassador Caffrey College. Saloon. <laughs> as only the Lord would have it. And so I. He says, well, I'll be by there in 10, 15 minutes. And sure enough, 10, 15 minutes later, I'm in my car in the driveway. He comes, he backs up next to me and he, uh, 
he jumps over and he gets in the passenger side of my car and I tell him the whole story. And he says, all right, hold open your hand. I held open my hand and he took $100 bills and just started one, two, three, four, all the way to $3,000. So I took his hand and I prayed for his family and his business and I thanked him and told him this would go directly to them. So he gets out of the car and I, I lift up the console of my car to put this money in there and I thought, what if I get pulled over? I mean, I feel like I'm doing some kind of donut drug deal right here. <laughs> and I started thinking, if I put it right here, what is going to happen? What is, what is, what is, I... So I thought, I'll call the guy. He works construction, see where he is and when he could meet me. So I called him and I said, hey, is there any chance that you're near Ambassador Capri and Kali Saloon? He said, well, sure, Pastor. Why? I said, well, I, I got something I need to give you. He said, well, where are you? I said, well, as the Lord would have it, I'm at Mesh's Donuts. <laughs> and so, sure enough, 10, 15 minutes later, he comes, he pulls up next to me and gets out of the car, jumps in the passenger side. And I begin to tell him the whole story that I told this guy, how I've been burdened for them and his story and how I shared it with a man who always loves to bless people. And, and then I, I said, oh, we'll open your hand. He opened up his hand and I started reaching open that console and I started going back to my donut drug deal, just laying it out on him. <laughs> And as soon as I got to the end of it, he, he didn't even look at me. He just goes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. My wife can come home. Thank you that you've heard my cry, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't clap yet. And he was quiet about that long. And I looked at him and I said, well, is, is there anything else you want to say? And he said, nope. I said, nothing? He said, nope. Now, what do you think I'm thinking? Okay. He didn't, he didn't what? Look, look at me. Now stop one moment. Time out right here. Do you think if he thanked me, it was going to change my life? Increase my income. Help me in my marriage. Help me with my children. Did I need him to say thank you to me? Listen carefully. Teenagers, children, husbands, wives. Your mate doesn't need you. It won't change them by you being thankful, but it will change you. You see, when God does something for you, does he expect something back in return? Oh, really? Jesus healed 10 people. Did he expect anything back in return? Really? One person returned back to him and Jesus said, thank you. You're awesome. You win the Jesus lottery. Go drive a fish car and a fish bicycle for the rest of your life. What did Jesus say to him? Where are the other nine? Look at me. Yes, it costs you something. It costs you a little humility. It costs you a little dying to your pride. 
It costs you acknowledging that you and I are but dust of the earth that God himself breathed into. And that every day that we wake up, it's a gift from God. And that we should cry out and say, thank you. Thank you. And he's sitting there like this. And I looked at him. And I said, Eric, not his real name. I said, can, can I pastor you a minute? He said, sure. Money in his hand sitting right there. And I reached over and I put my hand on his heart and I said, who hurt you? Who fractured you? Who shattered you? Over the course of your life that you thought that if you said thank you, if you expressed gratitude, if you put yourself out there that somehow someone would take advantage of you. You see, shattered people can't express gratitude. Fractured people can't say thank you. They leak. In them, the enemy has planted a seed that if I say thank you, that if I express love and appreciation, that if I do that, something will happen bad to me. But in reality, when you are thankful, it doesn't make people think less of you. It makes people think more of you. Today, I want to finish just like I started. Pastor, how are you and Miss Michelle doing? Look right here. Thankful. My son lost his life a half a mile away from my home. He was on his way home. Every day, my wife and I and my children have to drive 20 times a day. Past the place in Kali Saloon where he lost his life. Every day to go to church, to go to the grocery store, to take my daughter to life group. We have to drive by that spot every day. And you know what we can do? We can drive by that spot every day and say what I said for the first 48 hours God, why Wesley? God, why Wesley? Or I can drive by there and I can say, God, thank you for giving him to us for 20 years. Thank you for the gift of his life. Thank you for the precious child that he was. Thank you that he was the most sensitive of all of our children. Thank you that he was the most grateful and he was. Thank you that the last words I said to him was Wesley, I love you. Thank you, Father. This didn't happen when he was living in Texas the last year, but you sent him home for several months to be with us. Thank you, Father. So I want to tell you how we're doing. We're thankful. We're thankful. We're thankful. Would you bow your head with me, Heavenly Father? I pray for a spirit of gratitude to come upon this house. I pray, Father, that you would give a revelation as you've given Michelle and I of thankfulness. Of thankfulness. Lord, thank you for those that are here that have children that aren't where they need to be. Thank you that they're alive and still are a matter of prayer. 
Thank you, Father, for the mates that we have. There are many that don't have one that you can work in. Thank you, God, for the jobs we have. Thank you, God, for the provision you've made. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they could not see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they would not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. It will determine where you spend eternity. Not, are you Protestant or Catholic? Not, have you been baptized or Christian? Not, have you become a member of a church? If Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless a man or woman was born again, they won't see the kingdom of heaven or enter into the kingdom of heaven. The most important question of your life is this. Have you been born again? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I I don't know. But if you don't know, the answer is probably no. My birthday is June the 17th. My spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971. That day, I prayed with an African-American counselor in Jackson Junior High School in a chemistry lab to be born again. And that became my spiritual birthday. You see, just like you have one physical birthday, you have one spiritual birthday. Today, if you've never prayed to be born again, today can be your spiritual birthday. Today, you can leave here knowing your sins are forgiven. Today, you can leave here knowing Christ is living in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, you can leave here knowing that if you die, the next face you see would be the face of Jesus. And if you live, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm the only one looking. Here and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I've never prayed to be born again. I may have been christened or baptized. I may have joined a church, but I've never prayed to be born again. Today, I want to pray to be born again. Today, I want today to be my spiritual birthday. I don't want to leave here without knowing my sins are forgiven. I don't want to leave here without knowing that if I die, the next face I'd see would be the face of Jesus. And if I live, God has a plan or a purpose for my life. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to just pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. Come on, raise it up high. I want to see your hand. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Or put your hands down. If you raised your hand already, don't raise it again. I'm going to ask this last time. I want to join these seven, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. If you've already raised your hand, don't raise it again. But, Pastor, I need to be born again. Would you pray for me? Maybe you've never, ever, ever prayed that before. It begins today. If you raised your hand, don't raise it again. Pastor, you're asking the second time for me. My heart's about to beat up out of my chest. I know it's what I need. Pray for me. I need to be born again. If that's you, raise it right now. Right now. All right, eight, nine, got it. Now let's pray together out loud, church, this prayer. For these to be born again, we're all going to join you, those of you that raised your hand praying this prayer. Let's pray it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me. So I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, 
and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.